All right, how you guys doing? It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, I just I just want to first start by saying, um, whenever someone shares a testimony, and especially a vulnerable testimony, um, they tend to get vulnerable. And uh, you know, I've seen in DTS often the students will share their testimony from the class, and even for the next few days they might feel very vulnerable. And it's always important to love on people after they share their testimony. So make sure you give them a lot of hugs, show them a lot of love. And uh, actually, Father, we just pray for Anna and Sky, Lord. I thank you for their amazing testimony, Father. And we just say, Lord, that there will be no attacks on their identity, Father. But Father, we thank you for even greater freedom, Lord. And they would just receive your love in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. So on Fridays, I teach... uh, business English class for, for eight hours, actually like eight and a half hours. And it's mostly the same students the whole time. Can you imagine? And so that's why sometimes I don't come out to Friday fire. I'm so tired. And today I was so tired, but man, that worship woke me up. But, uh, uh, when we do business English, sometimes we have presentation practice and, uh, during presentation practice, we delegate responsibilities to uh, the different students in the class. And one of the responsibilities is called the um-ah counter. And so they count all the ums and the ahs. And so, so I, I tend to count them too because I'm, I'm the teacher. And, and in a three-minute presentation, literally sometimes there's like 50 ums and ahs. Like um, um, and um, ah, ah, and um. And so I know that Christian's been trying to get rid of them. And, uh, you know, I'm used to listening to them, and today I didn't really notice any amas from Christian. So I just want to honor Christian. <laughs> Making progress in the kingdom. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, before I get started, we're going to just have a little activity. I always love to start with some kind of activity. And so what we're going to do is we're going, okay, we're going to give a clap offering to the Lord. But what you're going to do is you're going to clap your hands as fast as you can for 20 seconds. And I want you to count... How many times you clap your hands, okay? But at the same time, you focus it to heaven, all right? Uh, okay, ready? Go! All right, good. All right, I just want to know, like, what was the most? Did anyone do more than 50? Raise your hand. More than 70? More than 90? More than 100? More than 110? 115? 120? How many did you do, Gloria? 121? What about you? Oh my goodness. Amazing. All right. Well, that, that was just an activity. All right. That was just meant to wake us up. Do you guys feel awake? Amen. Well, I had a really blessed week. And uh, for those of you that don't know, it was my birthday. Yes. So I'm finally 23 years old. 
And I was very blessed this week. I had some, uh, I just got some awesome presents. So thank you for anyone who contributed to the presents. And uh, it was definitely one of the top 23 birthdays I've ever had. So I just really, I'm, I'm thankful from the bottom of my heart. I was so blessed. And, uh, you know, it's just good to be alive. Amen. And, uh, you know, the thing about grace is it's, it's when you get something you don't deserve. Right. And none of us deserve life. Right. So the fact that you're alive means that you are a product of grace. So I want you to repeat after me. I'm a product of grace. I want you to turn to your neighbor, pull their hair, and say, You're a product of grace. <laughs> okay, I want you to slap your neighbor in the face and take their wallet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amen. So we're a product of grace, and we're sustained by grace, and we're saved by grace. Amen. And so I just feel like uh, today there's just some of us that, are, that have been striving and, and the Father's just saying, you know, you're covered by grace. You don't have to strive. Amen. So that's for someone in here today. Well, uh, the title of my message today is called A Son's Embrace. And I, I want to talk about embracing a father today. And, uh, I mean, I've had a bunch of father figures in my life and... Uh, I've had some great father figures. I've, I've had some great leaders, and I've had some leaders that were learning how to lead. And, uh, you know, it's been sort of a roller coaster ride for me, and I've, I've learned some lessons, and I want to share about how we can embrace our fathers today. Because how many of you know that by embracing the father, or one of your fathers, spiritual father, earthly father, you're, you're actually opening up a flow of blessing onto your own life? And so I've had times in my life where I've actually clogged up the flow, whether it was from bitterness or, or just offense or whatnot. And I, I want to talk today about how we can maintain a flow of blessing by embracing our fathers. You know, just like we, we didn't choose to be born, right? None of us chose to be born. And none of us chose who our fathers or mothers would be. You know, we were just, we were placed there. And so some of us were fortunate enough to have fathers that were loving, caring, that knew how to uh, raise you, to love you, to provide for you. And then we, we've, we've had some, some of us had some fathers who, you know, maybe they were orphans and they didn't know how to raise you. Or maybe he was abusive and hurtful. But no matter who our fathers were, we're all called to do the same thing, and that's embrace them and to love them and to honor them. So I want to talk about two or three things today, depending on time, of how we can embrace our fathers. Amen? The first thing I want to talk about is, is the first key is cover. Everyone say cover. cover. So how many of you know the story of Noah and his sons, his three sons, and uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Well, this story comes from uh, Genesis chapter 9, starting from verse 18, and I'll just read it. It says, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. 
And from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Hmm, I wonder why he planted a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk. Oh, that's why. And lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. Okay, I want to pause right there. So, who was Ham? The word says that Ham was Noah's youngest son. But we know that he wasn't a child. He was, he was a grown man with children. And he was someone who uh, lived through the greatest natural disaster the world has ever seen. He had life experience. He wasn't someone who was lacking common sense. So why would he look upon his father's nakedness and then gossip to his brothers about it? Because when you first read through this, you might skip over the fact that, you know, if, if, if it was my father laying naked, you know, my first reaction would be, oh, I've got to cover him up, right? You know, I, either I've got to put clothes on him or I've got to cover him with a blanket. But that's not what Ham did. Now, we also know that Noah was... A blameless and righteous man. That's what it says in Genesis. I mean, at the time, Noah was the man. I mean, he was like the president of the world. He was like the pastor of the world. He was the anointed one. I mean, there was a lot of respect that these people had for their father, Noah. So why would he risk damage to Noah's reputation? That's the first thing I want to think about. I believe that there was something in the heart of Ham that caused him to gossip about the nakedness of his father. I don't know what that thing is. It could have been offense. Maybe he was offended. Bitterness. But for whatever reason, he chose to risk the ruin of this man's reputation by gossiping to his brothers. Okay, let's continue reading. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see the father's nakedness. So we have Shem and, and Japheth, who are the two older brothers. Ham comes to them and says, Dad's drunk and naked. Look at him. I believe that there was something in their heart, maybe some kind of conviction, some kind of fear of the Lord or something. They said, you know, we, we got to cover him up. And so what they did not do is gossip around to others. What they did was they stopped the gossip. And it says that they got a piece of garments and they laid it across their shoulders. So here's Shem and Japheth, and they're, they're holding a piece of cloth. And they walk backwards with the cloth. It doesn't say that they averted their eyes away so that they can see with their peripheral vision to confirm that their father was naked. I mean, they don't even know if he's really naked or not. They didn't confirm it. They didn't peek first. He said, whether it's true or not, we're going to cover him. What they did do is they grabbed the blanket 
and they walked backwards until he was completely covered. Their heads were faced the other way so as not to see the father's nakedness. So you can imagine Noah waking up the next morning, finding that his nakedness was covered. And so he's probably wondering what happened. What happened last night? Who covered me? Who saw me naked? So he would approach his sons and he would say, who covered me? And Shem and Japheth said, we covered you. And he said, how did you know I was naked? And the truth was revealed. Now, I believe that in this passage, what the covering represents is prayer and intercession. You know, intercession means standing in the gap. And how many of you know that when Noah was naked and drunk, unconscious, he had no ability to cover himself? But who had the ability to cover him? It was his sons. And so they literally stood in the gap for Noah as they covered him with a blanket. And so, you know, there's a tendency that some of us have is when we see a fault, when we see nakedness in a person, a father figure, you know, sometimes our first reaction is gossip. Expose the nakedness to others. But in this passage, we see that that is not the response of a, of a good son. Amen. Okay, I'm going to continue reading. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. Will he be to his brothers? And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. So Shem and Japheth got a great blessing from the Lord. But what happened to Ham was his ancestors would be cursed. And if you read throughout uh, biblical history, you'll see that the Canaanites were enslaved uh, for years, many years. And it was a result of the actions of Ham, which I believe started in the heart of Ham. So if you have a tendency, that when you see your father's nakedness to gossip, I want you to ask yourself, uh, what is it in my heart that I need to correct? Amen. Am I killing the mood in here? <laughs> All right, good. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, just a couple of chapters before, it says that Noah was a righteous and blameless man before the Lord. A couple of chapters later, he's, he's drunk and naked. What happened? I believe he made a mistake. And the truth is, is sometimes fathers make mistakes. Amen? How many of you have had a father who never made a mistake? Come on. I know in my life, if you know my testimony, my father was very abusive and uh, he used to beat me physically. He used to tear me up with his words. And, uh, and I hated him for that. And so throughout the years, uh, I had to visit him once a week. My parents got divorced when I was about 10, 11 years old. And, man, I hated to visit my dad. Because I had so much pain in my heart. But I had so much 
unforgiveness in my heart. And you know, when, you, when you're unforgiving towards someone, you don't want to be around them, right? And that's the second point I want to talk about is, is forgiveness. And uh, so anyway, I, I went on the mission field and I decided to cut my ties with my father. And one day when I was in India, God said, go home and I want you to reconcile with your father. So I did. I went home. I called my dad. Hadn't talked to him in years. I said, Dad. He's like, who's this? And I said, it's, it's your son, Daniel. And he said, <laughs> Daniel who? <laughs> and I was like, it's your, he couldn't believe that I was calling him. And uh, I said, it's your son, Daniel. And I just wanted to call and say, hi, how are you doing? I missed you. And at that moment, I just, I could hear him crying in his words, you know? And so I said, Dad, I want to see you. And so how many of you know that forgiveness is not an emotion? It's not a feeling. It's a choice. How many of you know that you don't have to wait until you feel like forgiving to forgive someone? That you can actually step forward in forgiveness and trust the Lord to take the pain away and to bring healing. See, what happens is when you have unforgiveness towards someone, it it clogs up the flow of blessing into your life. In fact, the Bible says if you cannot forgive someone, then God cannot forgive you. So if blessing was an artery, unforgiveness would be like cholesterol that just clogs up the artery. But when you remove that, it releases that flow of blessing again into your lives. So anyway, I I, I told my dad to meet me at a restaurant. I met my dad, my mom, my brother, and I had so much pain in my heart to all three. And so I said, hey guys, I just brought you here today because I just want to say that I love you. And I just want to say that whatever things that you might have done wrong towards me, I forgive you. And I love you. And I release you from anything that you've ever done to me. Not expecting them to ask for forgiveness. And so what happened that day was there's a huge shift in my life. I could feel it. And uh, my relationship with my parents are great. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And there's just so much blessing that began to come into my life that I've never known before. Because of that simple act of forgiveness. And you know, there's been times in my life where I've held unforgiveness to spiritual fathers in my life. You know, in my younger missionary years, I was, uh, you know, I've been a part of like a bunch of different ministries. And, uh, and a lot of ministries and these leaders, they would come up to me and they say, hey, I want you to be a part of my ministry. And, uh, and they would say, you know, what is, what is your vision? What is your heart? And, uh, and I would tell them. I said, well, I have a heart to do this. This is what I want to do. And I want to grow in this. And, uh, and I remember there's this one leader, you know, she, it, it was a lady. And she, she was like, well, that's exactly what I want. It's exactly my vision. And I want to release you in your vision. I want to release you. And why don't you make a two-year commitment with me? Now, she was a woman of God. She was a woman of God, and, and I honor her, and I don't disrespect her in any way. But she didn't do what she said she was going to do, and I had made a two-year commitment. And so you can imagine how much that could, you know, hurt you. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would have bitterness in my heart, unforgiveness t- towards this leader. And you know what I noticed? You know, this, this leader was anointed, right? And when this, load, when this leader moved in ministry, preaching, 
people all around would be like, man, that was amazing. But you know what I felt? Nothing. Why? There was unforgiveness in my heart. It blocks the flow of blessing. See, when you have a father, and maybe they make mistakes, they're still your father, right? But what happens when you reject the father is you make yourself an orphan. And you forfeit an inheritance. And that's what I was doing. I was forfeiting my inheritance from this father in my life. So I would finish up my two-year commitment, and uh, another leader would come along. <laughs> what is your vision? <laughs> what do you want to do? I'd say, man, I'm really passionate about this, and you know, I really want to grow in this, and blah, blah, blah. And, and they were like, man, I want to release you in this. You know what happened? <laughs> Same thing happened several times. And I realized that part of it was because I was like the Israelites that went around the wilderness for 40 years because I held unforgiveness in my heart. I held on to bitterness. And it was until I can actually forgive them that I was actually released in the things that I wanted to do. Amen. Second key, forgiveness. The third key today is obey, obedience. Uh, you can say submissions at times. You know, when Jesus was born, he was born just like you and me. Yeah, he was fully God, but he was fully a human. So when he came out of Mary, he wasn't like, I am the Christ, worship me. He didn't lay his hand on Mary's stomach and say, be healed, and the belly was gone. I mean... Baby Jesus was crying just like you and I was. And just like you and me, he was on a path of discovery, right? I mean, he wasn't born and he, he didn't automatically know that he was the Christ. You see, I wonder when Jesus discovered that he was the Christ. Do you ever think about that? No, really. We do know that it was by the age of 12. Because at age 12, he was in the temple and he said, Don't, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? So you know that by 12, he knew he was the son of God. But I wonder when he figured it out. Because there's something special about Jesus' life. And that's, there's a book written about him. Imagine being born and there's a book written about you. If there was a book written about you, wouldn't you want to read it? And you know what Jesus did in his youth? He read about himself. You know, the word says that Jesus is the word of God. And as he read the scriptures, he found his identity. He learned about himself. He learned about his destiny. And, you know, he is the ancestor of King David. And come on, King David was the man, right? Everyone looked up to King David. And Jesus could say, man, he's my great, 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 great grandpa. And, you know, if I was Jesus, I would want to learn the Psalms. I believe that Jesus studied the Psalms. I believe he sang the Psalms. I, be, I believe he, me, he memorized the Psalms. And as he learned the scriptures, as he learned the Psalms, I could just picture Jesus so excited. I could picture this just face of discovery on his face. Until he got to Psalm 22. Because in Psalms 22, he learns about the cross talks about the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. 
dying for the sins of the world. Can you imagine a young child learning that this is the way that they're going to end? And I believe at that moment, you know, it wasn't pretty for him. You know, maybe he was crying, you know, wondering what is it going to be like if there's any other way. We know that in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, God, if there's any other way to take this cup from me, do it. But if it's your will, if there's no other way, then I submit, I will do it. But you know what? I believe the thing that disturbed Jesus the most about Psalm 22 was verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus heard those Words, when he read those words, I believe that cut to the core. That God is going to forsake me? The God that I've only known intimacy and love, the greatest love that you could ever know, he's going to reject me? And you can imagine throughout his life thinking about it over and over. I'm going to have to experience this moment. So I believe that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was praying, as he's crying out to the Lord, yes, the, the cross would be painful physically, but there is a gr- much greater pain that he would have to experience. And then when he cried out, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. I, I believe it wasn't because of the physical pain. I believe he could, have, he could have looked at the physical pain and say, no problem, I'll do this. But he knew that he would be rejected by the Father as he would become sin. Can you imagine becoming sin? Literally becoming perversion. Hatred. Can you imagine what that would do to your body, to your mind, to your emotions, to your spirit, to literally become sin? To experience that, even for a moment, yet Jesus knew that he had to do it. So he was beaten. He was tortured. He had no strength left. And then he became sin. Can you imagine? And at his greatest time of need for his father, he became sin and, and God cannot look upon sin. He had to turn his head away. And he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus literally became the thing that he hated the most. He spent his life healing people that would torture him. He came to bring life to those that would take his And to end it all off, he'd have to become sin on the cross. I wonder how many times he prayed that prayer that he prayed at Gethsemane throughout his life. I don't believe it was just that one time. But I believe it it finally hit him hard on that day. And the Bible says that Jesus was obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. Third key today is obedience. Just like Jesus was obedient to his Father, we're also called to be obedient 
to our fathers in our lives. Does it mean if they tell us to sin, we have to sin? No. But if they tell us to do something that is not an evil thing, that is righteous, and you really don't want to do it, guess what submission is? Jesus modeled it perfectly on the cross. But you know what? The greatest act of obedience, the greatest act of submission hanging on the cross resulted in the greatest miracle ever. And that's my salvation and your salvation. And there's something about submission and obedience that will unlock things in the spiritual realm and in our lives that will bring a blessing. And you know where Jesus is now? He's on the right hand of God. Amen. So, I didn't think about how to close this. (laughs) So, why don't we all just stand up together? You know that you can literally empower your fathers. I believe that as we embrace our fathers, we empower them to lead us better as we live in a lifestyle of forgiveness, of obedience, and covering. You know, we don't have to cover our leaders, our fathers, only when they're naked, but we should live a lifestyle of prayer and intercession for them. Amen? So let's, why don't we just make a commitment today to embrace our fathers? Just repeat after me. I commit today to embrace my fathers. To live a lifestyle of forgiveness, obedience, and covering. I speak blessings to my fathers. And I forgive them for any wrong that they've done to me. I love them. I bless them. In Jesus' name. Amen.